0: Hi, friends. Welcome to Rainbow Parenting, where we talk about the intersections of queerness, transness, and childhood. I am your host, Linz Amer. Today, I've got my friend Mia Rossella on the pod, who is a TV writer who specializes in the kids and animation space. We talk about their work. We talk a little bit about queer and trans representation in kids and animation and a whole lot more. This is something that is extremely near and dear to my heart, so I was really glad that Mia could hop on the pod so that we could have this conversation. Since you all listening probably aren't all in the TV and film space, we tried to keep the inside baseball to a minimum. But I just wanted to go over a little bit of vocab before we get into the conversation. A general meeting, which I believe is mentioned in the conversation, is just an industry term for an informational meeting that a writer or a creative might have with a studio executive. So someone who is maybe in charge of development at, let's say, Nickelodeon, a writer might meet with them in a general. That's what we call it. And a log line is essentially what we call an elevator pitch for a show or a piece of writing or a story. I think that's all the jargon we got into in the conversation. Hopefully context will give you some clues if we missed any. All right, a quick bit of business before we get into it. The Rainbow Parenting Book. Your Guide to Raising Queer Kids and Their Allies is out wherever books are sold. Please, please, please go run to your favorite local indie bookstore and grab your very own copy. Grab a copy for yourself. Grab a copy for your friends. Spread the queer joy around. I am currently on tour doing tons of family events and author events in a bunch of different cities across the country. Right now, I'm in LA. The day that this comes out, I have two events. One is a family performance at Geeky Tees in LA, and I have an author event at North Figaro Bookstore that I'm really excited about. So please, please come out. I wanna see your faces and I wanna sign your books. We just had a fantastic event at Junior High LA where we did a live recording of this very podcast with a senior analyst at GLAAD. So I'm really excited about that conversation. You're going to be getting a feed cut of that conversation later this month. After LA, I'm going to Chicago, then San Francisco, then Boston, then New York City. So if you're in any of those cities, please, please check out the tour schedule. You can go to queerkidstuff.com live or just head to the link in our bio on Instagram and all the social medias and you'll find it there. If you don't happen to live near or in any of those cities, I'm also hosting a virtual event, Pride of Palooza. It's something we did in 2020 where we brought queer and trans children's and family performance together to celebrate Pride Month and we're bringing it back this year. You can check out that information, again, over at queerkidstuff.com slash live, and you can register. 5% of our proceeds are going to go to Rainbow Railroad, which is a fantastic nonprofit organization. We've got an incredible lineup. We're having the Alphabet Rockers, Jules from Songs for Littles, Ants on a Log, the Strawberry Ops, Banana Band, uh, Laser the Boy. It's going to be an absolute blast. So please, please do check that out. We're also doing a mailbag episode of the podcast coming up. So please send your questions, your comments, your <laughs> really anything, thoughts and feelings to 207-535-9839. All you have to do is leave a voicemail. Again, the number is 207-535-9839. And you just have to get those in by the end of this week, June 9th. Again, that number is 207-535-9839. All right, let's get to my conversation with Mia. All right, my friends, I'm here with Mia Rosella, who is a friend, and I'm so excited to have you on the podcast, Mia. Can you tell the good people uh, who you are and your pronouns and how you identify? However you take that question. (laughs) Yes.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm also happy to be here and happy to catch up with you. Yeah. Uh, Yes. My name is Mia. Uh, My preferred pronouns are they, them. I will accept any, but I have a strong preference. And um, I identify as genderqueer.
0: Amazing. And what uh, industry are you in? Because that's kind of why you're here and what we're going to talk about.
1: Yeah, I am a television writer uh, focusing on animation. I primarily work in the kids and family space in animation for the last several years. I really, really love it. Uh, Started off just wanting to be a writer and really found that this was the the home for me. And I've Mm. had the privilege of working on some great shows that I'm obsessed with and love.
0: Beautiful. What are? Can you just tell the people some of those credentials that you have? I
1: can. I can. <laughs> See, I I like the rhythm we have going here. I'm just actively not answering your questions on accident, but it's creating a good back and forth. It's good. Let's
0: banter. Let's do it. Yeah. Tell people what you've written for.
1: Yeah. So I've... Uh, my One of my favorite things I've written for is Dead End Paranormal Park, which is available on Netflix. There's two seasons of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is created by one of my best friends in the whole world, Hamish Steele, a great group of writers on that. And I will use all this time to plug people to please watch it. Like, I'm so proud. It's one of the, the proudest things I've ever written on. Mm. It features a trans teen uh, lead and, and also an autistic South Asian co-lead. It's great. Uh, I've also written on Ridley Jones, um, which was also on Netflix, Mm -hmm. and uh, recently was also on uh, Young Jedi Adventures, which will be out on May the 4th uh, on Disney Plus, I believe. Oh, May the 4th day. That's amazing. May the 4th be with you. (laughs) So tune in. It's a great show. It's going to be great. I hope all the kiddos love it. Um, I was also on Vampirina. I've written for Craig of the Creek. What else? I was on the Ghost of Molly. Oh, of course. I was on the Ghost of Molly McGee, which I also, there's great people on that. That'll be on Disney+. Plus. Uh, the second season is coming out April 1st.
0: All right. Everybody go and watch all of those things that Mia just talked about, especially um whenever anyone asks me, I, I, I get questions from parents a lot of like, what should I have my kid watch? That's good. <laughs> and I feel like mm-hmm. my three are always like Ridley Jones, Spirit Rangers, and Bluey because Bluey. And- <laughs> I love Bluey. I'm a full childless
1: <laughs> adult and I, my TikTok, I'm on Bluey TikTok. Like I, just watch I didn't know they had a
0: TikTok. Day. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, just like, you know, the, oh, they don't yes. have a TikTok, but you know, when it's people are on like blank talk, I'm on Bluey talk. Like I get a lot of Bluey content. (laughs)
0: I honestly love that for you.
1: (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. Um, but yeah, I'm sure I've written on more things, so I'm really sorry to the those I did not mention. No, but.
0: that's perfect. You have a lot of things that you write on, and I think that that's wonderful, a great place for us to get started. Um, before we kind of, like, dive into all of this, I like to kind of come to this podcast and to um, this work in, like, the childhood education entertainment space as, like, queer and trans people, as, like, full humans. So I want to, like, just real quick check in, like, How are you doing today?
1: Today, good. Good. I mean, in general, yeah. (laughs) Maybe bad, but (laughs) it's a it's a time as a trans person. Maybe bad, but like yeah. But today, good.
0: Good. Good. I'm glad you're in good spirits. I feel like there's so much about this work that just needs joy to it and like Yes. Yeah, and it's uh it's hard to like compartmentalize the like bad, queer, trans things that are happening, but I love being able to like create tiny little temporary bubbles for ourselves and I hope that listeners can um maybe come into our little joy bubble with us.
1: Yeah. The the thing, and I'm you know I'm sure you know more than anyone. But the thing about writing for this audience mm-hmm. and creating for this audience is like you really do care so yeah. much. So compartmentalizing isn't really something that comes naturally in the job description when you're mm-hmm. writing for kids. I mean, most people. What one of the things I like working about in this industry and for in kids and family space is yeah. that most people are really um, mindful and they know the responsibility they have. And it's not just responsibility, but it's like this big opportunity. Yeah. So sometimes that can, um, it's so exciting, but sometimes it can, can wear on you when yeah. other things are happening in the world or when you just feel like, oh, what can I do? Or when the industry's stagnating. Uh, so it becomes this like, you know, up and down of making sure you find the joy again. I feel like I'm finding the joy again. Hopefully other people mm. are, Uh, it's been really rainy in LA, but the sun is coming out. So maybe we're all, maybe the sun's coming out in our hearts for all of us. We'll see.
0: (laughs) I hope so. So this is, this is a great segue because I want to, before we get into like specifics of your work, I want to just like, mine a little bit into you as like a creative and like why children's storytelling and like why animation in particular for you um and let's answer that first and then I want to kind of get into like your queerness and transness and how that informs it and I mean maybe you'll start answering that <laughs> as you're going into it but I'm curious about all of
1: that yeah I think I mean I can back up a little and say how my a little bit of my story which might inform yeah, sure. how I got into it um which if anyone's taken a general with me they've heard like a version of the story a million times uh so i always feel like i'm being very repetitive but it's just
0: <laughs> it's really what happened these are um, a lot of parents and educators and caregivers not like i would i don't think a ton of our audience is like in the children's i figured media. i figured yeah. it's more
1: for me that i have said it a million times and then oh, you know I'm you feel sure. kind of like
0: disingenuous but i'm like it's really what no, happened no no I no 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 it's your it's your um, story that's not disingenuous yeah, at all yeah but
1: i Like, I'm just one of those kids that always knew they wanted to be a writer, Mm. but I find that they don't really tell you, you know, like, cartoon writer is a job or animation writing is a job or anything like that. Or even, you know, when you're little, you don't even know that TV writing is a job. Yeah. So when I was young, I thought writing meant, like, my Redwall fanfiction for (sighs) fanfiction.net. <laughs> I,
0: yes. Or I
1: thought maybe I could be like a novelist or a poet, mm-hmm. which I'm sure was like giving my parents a heart attack. That I was like, I'll be a poet. That's <laughs> viable. Uh, <laughs> but kind of when I got into theater in high school,
0: mm-hmm.
1: then I started realizing there's other types of writing because my theater program uh, was really good. I grew up in mm-hmm. Texas and we just had a really good theater program in that nice. school. And they had a playwriting course. So I ended up doing some plays, one-act plays. And I wrote them and produced them. You know, my fellow students were in them. And that was so yeah. fun. It's much more collaborative. Mm-hmm. And I really like that style of writing. So that sort of put me into the film and TV path. That kind of gave me the idea. Nice. Uh, and then I ended up going to school for that. Went to UC Santa Barbara um, and did film and media studies there. Cool. I thought, oh, I'm going to do sitcom writing because I did a yeah. sitcom writing class. I was like, this is so fun. This is what I'm going to do. It's less lonely than, you know, feature writing. I mm-hmm. loved the deadlines. I love structure. My little neurodivergent brain was like, yeah. give me structure. Thank you so much. And so I can kind of have it, had narrowed it down, but I still didn't think about uh, animation as a medium or mm-hmm. kids and family space um, just because, yeah, no one really advertises that or yeah. talks to you about it.
0: And it's kind of a siloed part of the industry, too.
1: It is. It feels like it is. And I, I don't know why, but
0: whatever yeah <laughs> it's just, it just
1: people don't think about it. i i don't know they're but once you're in it you're like wow this is a whole community yeah, it's exactly. its own little world mm-hmm. um, but yeah then once i kind of was out and moved out to la to pursue writing and do all that um, i ended up at one point working for this literary manager who represented the Roald Dahl estate mm-hmm. and so that kind of first started i think putting some pieces together in my mind of mm. oh, those types of Stories that can be, those are children's stories, but they're you know a little offbeat, quirky. Yeah. In your mind, sometimes you're thinking children's stories are like what we grew up with yeah. that were all like curriculum, mm-hmm. um, which is nothing wrong with that. But yeah. I'm not like an educator, so I didn't think yeah. about that. <laughs> yes. Um. So I started to get those pieces together, and then one day I was at Disneyland. Uh, Because I used to have an annual pass and go all the time. I was like one of those jerks that um, goes all the time. I'm not a Disney adult. I would just like really like the record to show that.
0: (laughs) The record will show not a Disney adult. Working
1: for Disney, I'm not a quote unquote Disney adult. Thank you. No judgment. Um, I don't know if people in other states, if your listeners in other states know that that's like a thing. (laughs)
0: <laughs> but it it's is a thing outside of outside of California as well. Yes. Okay.
1: <laughs> but I get to go all the time and they have this little theater, the Main Street Theater, and mm-hmm. it's on Main Street and it looks like it's not even something you can go into. It actually kind of looks like it's just a backdrop built for mm-hmm. show, but you can go in and in it is this little room that's playing all these old Mickey Mouse shorts. Oh, um cool. like of, of I IWorks, who's the animator who mm-hmm. drew all those those shorts, like Steamboat Willie era. Yeah. And it's like in a little circle and I'm just surrounded by it. And I had truly an epiphany Mm. and was like, I'm want to be part of the history of animation. Mm. That was it. It was very clear lightning bolt moment. So I went home and I applied to grad school, which I did not originally plan on doing. Um, Mm -hmm. I, incorrectly thought that you had to animate in order to write for animation. So I was
0: common to misconception
1: school. though. A common misconception. Mm-hmm. But you know, I Googled I think what it was I Googled people's names and then I was like, they seem like they went to animation school. Yeah. So maybe that's what I need to do. Um, So I did not need to do that, but Mm -mm. it still was a great experience, as it turned out, once I got there, that, yes, this is the medium for me. Mm. Looking back, I saw most of my scripts were animated or should have been animated, but Mm. it just didn't click for me. That my voice... And the type of writing I want to do just happened to be very suited for that space and what that medium is. And people are always like, animation's a medium, not a genre, which is true. But I feel that in the time that I've been working, animation as a medium is doing the genres that I uh, like Mm -hmm. to do and care to do. And then, especially um, working up to the kids and family question of it all... Uh, what i learned once i started working in that medium and working in that space my first staff job was on vampirina which is just a great uh, experience An underrated
0: and- Christney show i love vampirina thank you
1: i i agree i only i can only take credit for being on the third season but um the best season of mine <laughs> there you go uh, just because of me, no. But I, it's a great show. It was a really fun time. I know my my friends and I who worked on that. We just had a great time.
0: Can you just do a real quick log line of it, just yeah, for oh listeners? Yeah, of course.
1: Good, good call. Um, Vampirina is a show about a vampire family, and especially a little vampire girl. They're from Transylvania, and they moved to a block um, Pennsylvania in the suburbs. It's incredible. So <laughs> it's so fun. It is so fun. It's kind of like you know, that, that Adams family mm-hmm. um, type of vibe where it's like, they're the odd ones on the street. Yeah, uh, and it's, it's really, it was so fun. I love monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, the music is great. It's a musical, mm-hmm. like many of the Disney junior shows, like all my favorite fun things. And I just had such a nice time working on it. So I, I and I didn't know, you know, anything about writing for pre-K. I mm-hmm. would argue that show and most of, uh, Chris Nee's shows are yeah. in the, older end of that age range so yeah for, I would agree with that yeah, for people who do not know all the like demographics there's you know older kids like mm-hmm. 6 to 11 and then there's the pre-K shows and and then we might call upper pre-K like a bridge space so yeah. you know cuz pre-K age range is so much each year they grow like mm-hmm. a difference between a 2-year-old 3-year-old 4-year-old and 5-year-old is, is so vast so I didn't really know much about writing for that when I got in, but I found it very natural. And one thing mm. I did, I write for older kids and YA too. Um, but one thing I did appreciate with that first job and realized the kids in family space was a really special place mm. is you do have a huge opportunity to reach people in such a beautiful way and be there before basically they get all messed up. <laughs> negative yeah. messaging. Um, and so you have a huge responsibility to make sure that you are not damaging them in that way. And I think that's really special and meaningful. I think it's a great place for analogy. I think it's a great place to just make people feel seen and warm and welcome. And it's a really challenging space to write for as well, because it's a really discerning audience. Kids are so smart. And I think they're really emotionally complex, uh, but they also don't understand complex ideas like time. So yeah. it's an interesting combination of what to write for. And you're kind of forced to really boil things down into the most succinct little droplet of concentrated mm-hmm. flavor. Like I think of like when you make simple serves or like coffee concentrate. concentrates, yeah. um, you got to boil it down because it can't really be about a lot of superficial things. It mm-hmm. can't be very elliptical. Like I find you know, a Marvel show, for example, yeah. could be very dot 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 elliptical, like mm-hmm. imply this or imply that, and kind of make the audience imagine. But in um, a younger space, like a pre-K space, you don't really do that. You are very clear, and yet you have to be entertaining and mm-hmm. funny, and also do
0: it in a very short amount of time, right? Because a so, lot such of such a short amount of time, a lot yeah. of preschool <laughs> shows are only eleven minutes, whereas most writers in like comedy and like adult spaces are writing either like half hour, like half hour or hour long yes. shows, which is just, it's just such a different skill set.
1: Yes, truly. So it is, that's another part of the boil down. And it, it, it's sort of like, I, I think picture books, for example, are mm-hmm. really, really beautiful medium too, that are, yeah. I consider where all the, you know, modern artists are and contemporary mm-hmm. artists in my mind, because I love going to, like a contemporary art museum and then I feel like I often get the same experience reading a picture book. Yeah, um, no,
0: for real and like it's wild because I've talked to picture book authors on this podcast and also I am both a screenwriter in kids and animation and I've written a picture book and mm-hmm. I find both mediums extremely difficult in yes. very different ways and I actually find picture books harder because I think I'm, my brain just makes, it it, it just <laughs> comes, it comes out in yeah. like dialogue and script form a lot easier than yeah yeah, exactly than picture book which is like I think a lot closer to poetry um and that is agree that's really
1: absolutely yeah (laughs) it just
0: like takes a lot longer for like ideas to form in that way but yeah both mediums that like seem like they would be easy (laughs) yes but are actually
1: like because it's so simple exactly that people think it's easy but simple is one of the hardest things you can write exactly. like it is very I like I'm not a very talented technical artist I have like no even though I went to animation school I'm I'm I just want the record to show that I don't think I'm a good artist uh, but, but I, I think love, that
0: that's important too of like not taking the pressure off of yourself to like maybe be like quote unquote a good artist and like let yourself be messy I could never
1: be a working artist I will say like a professional artist I'm not I would not make the cut but I do love abstract art and I feel like so much of abstract art Mm -hmm. is what we're doing in picture books and in Mm -hmm. um, writing 11 minutes. It's very like, when I explain abstract art to people, I'm very like, it's the triangle with the triangle and the square and <laughs> but like it makes you feel something. It tells a little story. Mm-hmm. Um, it reminds me of, you know, when people do like rough storyboards for animation yeah. and they start off like it's just these shapes and they're evocative and they can tell a story mm. in the most minimalistic way, but still yeah. be really cool and colorful and fun to look at. Mm. So that's kind of how I view that. And the other thing I learned, um, and this is for the older kids, too, is like I kind of was thinking back on what are my favorite things mm. and the things that have had the most impact on me. And no matter what show or book that I read as an adult, mm-hmm. it really will never have the same effect as something I read as a kid. yeah the the way that you care about it, like the nothing will ever make me feel the way I felt reading Calvin and Hobbes, for example.
0: Mm. It's profound. What a,
1: it's, well, yeah, what a special part of the industry to be involved in.
0: Because,
1: mm-hmm. um, like, obviously, I watch so much TV and I am an adult and I like these shows, and it's nothing against any of the shows I watch. I'd love to write for many of those shows. Yeah. But I do, there's something that I think is really special about being that to somebody else and being that thing. Like, when you're a kid, the way you latch onto a story is so different and informative.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I just, like, think of, like, the stories that, like, informed me most when I was a kid. And, like, those are things that I come back to throughout my lifetime. Like, it's right. not just something that, like, I watched then. Like, it's something that I, like, f- that I find comfort in as an adult because, like, I'm, you know, giving something to my inner child, right? And then, like, also, like, hopefully I'm going to be bringing that to my future children. And so, like, yeah. there's something that's cool, I think, about kids' media in that it's, like, you know, kids' media is misnomer. It's I like to talk mostly about like kids media being all ages media because I think that's true Mm. because like a media that you've, you know, come across when you're a child comes with you throughout your life in these different stages. And so like you're not just experiencing that thing one time. You're experiencing it many times over your life. And I think that that's like a really important thing to like pull like quote unquote kids media like out of the kids space a little bit in a way that like I think also respects children. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. something you were getting at too. Um, Yeah, there's
1: what you said reminded me of a Maurice Sendak quote that mm -hmm. I always think about and really Has stuck with me. Maurice Hmm. Sendak, being the author of Where the Wild Things Are, and illustrator, of course. Um, Who also wrote plays. He rules. I want to write. This is just such a side note, not relevant (laughs) to anything. I will really have it in me to write a play where I'm haunted by the ghost of Maurice Sendak. (sighs) That is just like what I want. I. That's my platonic ideal. Oh my God.
0: Okay. So we had, <laughs> this is very much a very bunch of side note. Did you, I had this like tweet thread go really viral last June that talked about queer picture book authors of like classics. So like Maurice Sendak and like Mar- mm. Margaret Wise Brown and um, Hans Christian Andersen, all these people who were like queer and like you have no idea mm. that they're like your most beloved picture books. And I like want to write a biopic about Margaret Wise Brown so bad. Ooh. So maybe we need to collab on maybe like. Maybe we need to have. <laughs> On yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like queer picture book authors of the past haunting all it's of like
1: us. like our MCU, but like <laughs> yes,
0: all the picture like book gay author, queer picture book authors exactly. Um, um, yeah, but
1: yeah, Maurice Sendak had this quote that something I'm paraphrasing probably, but it was like, "I don't write for children. I write, and someone tells me it's for children, mm. and I really, really related to that, especially yeah. when I was first starting out and still trying to navigate." the labels of everything. Now the labels are just more practical to help shorthand things. But philosophically, that really helped me because I don't feel that I'm trying to write for kids. Yeah. Um. Each time I'm on a job, I'm of course like writing to fulfill the showrunner's world. Yeah. Or, but even when I'm writing something, it's just whatever that idea wants to be, and some of them are appropriate for all
0: ages. hmm Yeah. So I like your all ages idea. Yeah, I try. I try <laughs> to spread spread that message a little bit. Um, this is a great segue into. Uh, how does your like queer and trans identity kind of factor in here? Because uh, the kids and animation side of things is like not always the most friendly to like queerness and transness. I don't know if that's your experience. It has been to some extent mine for sure. And I'm, I'm just not necessarily like the industry side of things, which can be hard, but I'm curious just like as a queer and trans person writing in the kids space, I just want to know like how, how does that inform what the stories you're telling? And how that's coming across, and why?
1: You know, I think I went on a real journey with it, honestly, Mm -hmm. because I I knew I was queer for ages and forever. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't even really have big like coming out moments or anything because Mm -hmm. I just knew I was queer. I I identified as and still identify as bi, Mm -hmm. but at the time, it didn't seem like that label was really necessary for me to come out as or do anything. I just kind of was like, I'm queer, and that's all I knew. And so I didn't really realize that I was trans or non-binary or I, I like the term genderqueer a lot mm-hmm. till like much later because there was not a lot of representation of that that i was exposed to mm-hmm. and then once i started getting exposed to that i was like i'm just writing about this for no reason and i'm just really passionate about getting this um binary character <laughs> written for like mm-hmm. well, i don't know why yeah who knows Just like really <laughs> eggy moments and like <laughs> like i just like really care as an ally Goal. big a um, ally that's me <laughs> <laughs> um yeah just like but just a lot of analogy a lot of stuff going on yeah there. yeah but, yeah um, I think I went on a journey with it. I'm really fortunate, I think, the, the shows I've worked on mm. um, that put me in positions that I could feel safe to explore that and what mm-hmm. that meant for writing. Yeah. So I, I think at first I was really drawn to analogy, which I still really respect and, and like, especially yeah. for um young kids, because every like every picture book's analogy, right? Like it just kind of built into the medium yeah. at some points. Yeah. Um, but I was really drawn to analogy and um, I started to kind of get into this rhythm of, like, oh, well, this is important, like, capital I important. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you, uh, my friend called it the rep sweats, where you are representing <laughs> and mm-hmm. you're sweating. Of, yeah, the that's pressure. a good term. I'm going to steal um, that. <laughs> yeah, it's so useful. Uh, I think Bridie is the friend who told me that is a dead-end writer. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, she's great. Yeah, she, she freaking rules, but... Uh, I think she might have been the first person who said that and I was like, that's what I that's it. That's the thing I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely think that is important. i I really like the work I did in that mindset still, but i I've gone on a journey with it where once I worked on dead end, that was one of the safest places I felt while working. Mm-hmm. And it was just really cool to get past this point of the rep sweats. Like mm-hmm. uh, the first couple days, I feel we we're stuck in that because we're so used to being on the defense in a way. Mm -hmm. I don't think I, and I'm sure most people or anyone I know as a queer person, don't bust into the room and don't go hey, this or that, but we eventually uh, learn to be defensive of our own existence. And our our own existence feels like we're busting down the door and saying something, even though we're just saying something that sounds really normal to us, but like normal has been defined by other people. So sometimes we're like, wow, you're saying something wild. And it's like, "Oh, I didn't know. So a lot of people have built up this resistance where Mm. when we talk about it, we've we've felt out the situation. We have really worked our way up to it. We've like Built up this talk in our heads. Um, we're ready to defend just a basic concept, and yeah. so it was a really like groundbreaking experience to write on dead end because mm. um, we got we I think all kind of came in with that and got past that in the first like day or two, Amazing. and then we're able to just write like full uh, integrated human beings, mm. and so that was really really a special experience for me. And I think after that, I did start to write a bit differently where I'm like, Mm. I, you know, I'm just going to be me yeah. and I really want to write stuff that I just like. And sometimes that can be capital I important. And sometimes that can just be a fun romp, but basically I just want to write a story and not censor myself so much. And I want it to reflect the world that I see and the world that I live and the world I lived as a kid, just like any other writer. And yes. it is mind blowing that it takes that much work for me to be at a level of creating where I'm like, this is what literally every other writer, not literally, but like, you know, there's many ways of being marginalized, but what yeah. a lot of other writers come up in this position, they, that's their starting point. And it took mm-hmm. me a long time to get to that starting point. And then when I got there, of course, people are still going to act like that. That's not a starting point that I'm yeah. doing something like brave or like, Whoa, you're so
0: strong! I think it's so funny when people say I'm brave. <laughs> I, get, I get the brave um, thing all the time. I get the and and you're speaking. I guess take it. Like
1: uh, yeah, I mean, I guess so. <laughs> I
0: don't know. I I get like annoyed by it at this point because I've heard it per- is annoying, for so but-
1: long. <laughs> whatever yeah (laughs) I I mean
0: I I, what the thing that you're speaking to that's really like catching me is the this is how other writers just write like they can just Mm -hmm. be themselves and don't have to censor anything and you can integrate in Mm -hmm. anything you do (laughs) it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter if you're in a room of like all queer and trans writers like that that would be a bonus but like I And I think that it's it's interesting as someone who, like, went into the kids and animation, like, kind of like TV film industry from doing my web series, Queer kids Stuff, that is mm-hmm. just, like, bang, in your face. That's this you. is who I yeah, am. You this get, is how yeah. I'm coming into the industry. People would always ask me, like, do you want to write other things? And I'm like, no, I want to write queer and trans stories for kids because – That's my perspective. That's who I am as a creative. That's how I am as a writer. So, like, I'm not asking to be pigeonholed in queer and trans work because, like, that's just who I am and what I do. And there just isn't enough work available for me to do that because it's so marginalized within the space.
1: I mean, it's sort of just like any in any aspect of our lives, the way the different letters of, you know, the alphabet mm-hmm. mafia, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> interact is like, I, that, especially when you do first come out, it is like a very big part of what you're talking about, but it, mm-hmm. it's essentially is just integrated. Yeah. So I, now I'm so lucky that I feel that comfort of, oh, I just, and I have, it, it's, it's not all the time, right? I have to stay strong on it because, yeah. you know, you'll go up and down with what you're exposed to and what you start to, feel like this is a lot maybe I am too much and you know so it's it's a journey still even after you get past that point but like it just feels that oh yeah the way we're integrated like yeah I'm just a queer writer so anything I write really is going to be queer yes I am a queer person and that's part of what I'm expressing in my writing but Mm -hmm. I'm not now trying to do it it's yeah I'll sometimes say you know, in meetings or when people are asking me what kind of content I want to make, and they're specifically talking about like how we're specifically talking on this podcast, mm-hmm. I will be like, "Yes, I am drawn to queer content. I like queer representation, etc." Mm-hmm. But actually in in reality and in my day to day, I'm just a writer and an artist, and I just yeah. want to. I had to go on a journey in order to not censor myself and to mm-hmm. actually directly express that. But actually, like, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm just writing, and it's like we're fully integrated people mm-hmm. and in my opinion, should be treated the same when we're representing, like, what we see in our world around
0: us. Yes, yes, 100%. Listeners, I'm so sorry. We usually have a word from one of our sponsors here, but there's a situation developing in the studio. It seems a large otter has somehow made its way in here and it's now standing next to my desk on their back legs, holding out what appears to be several damp 3x5 index cards. And okay, the index cards read, hello and good day, I'm Cherbis. Am I saying that right? Cherbis, oh, Cherbae, Cherbae protector of the waterways. I bring to you news of Nerdy Kepi, a family-owned and trans-operated clothing and home goods company from Portland, Oregon, that makes comfortable and classy pride gear that's subtle, sustaining, and suitable for work, in a variety of pride flags with sizes up to 5XL in most items. You can use coupon code RAINBOWPARENTING for 20% off your first purchase. Nerdy Keppy, find us at ithaspockets.gay. That's ithaspockets.gay. Gender Spiral is a new podcast about all things gender. Through interviews with folks all across the gender identity spectrum, we'll explore what it means to be a human in our modern gendered world. Gender Spiral is hosted by Allie Beardsley, a comedian and actor who you may know from college humor and dropout, and Babette Thomas, artist radio producer, and researcher extraordinaire. As non-binary people, Ali and Babette are going on a quest to explore topics surrounding identity and gender by interviewing the experts on the topic, trans and queer people. Trans and queer folks are constantly examining their experiences moving through life in a society focused on binary definitions of gender. But really, everyone should feel free to explore how ideas of gender and gender roles work for and against them in our modern world. No matter your identity, Ali and Babette invite you to join them on this gender journey. Check out Gender Spiral every Tuesday wherever you listen starting June 6th and go to patreon.com slash gender spiral podcast to support the show. Come spiral with us. Okay, um, this is getting me into what I originally brought you on the podcast for, yeah. which is talking about um, Really Jones and the new episode that came out um, yes. with the new Happy season. Yes, Happy Day. Yes, Happy Herd Day that came out with the recent release of the third third season.
1: The season labeling on Netflix is not how I like not how when I was in the room we were referring to it because sometimes the drops are different. So I am not sure what it is called because like I know on Netflix when they just drop Different yeah. times they drop it, they'll call it a season, even though maybe that's not what we were the originally The final so
0: I'm season sure. of whatever
1: <laughs> the latest, Because it might be like five, season five. Okay, yeah. I'm not sure. But in my mind, it's not season five.
0: The final one on the drop down, the yes. latest one, there's a new episode that you co wrote um, yes. called Herd Day, Happy Herd Day. And uh-huh. it features a character named Fred, who's a bison. Very, very sweet character, who's been around for the whole series, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah,
1: from day 1 um yeah. that was, you know, one of the original characters in the ensemble that I know even from, you know, the pitching days, mm-hmm. Chris had come up with this ensemble and Fred mm-hmm. always was there and was is non-binary and on Twitter, people are, like, non bisonary I've never said it out loud. I just wanted to see how it <laughs> sounded. Uh, it worked better than I thought it would. Yeah. And <laughs> when I read it on Twitter, I'm like, that is, there's no way that word works. But I said it, and it came out. You know, it, it does
0: something yeah. for me. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, in that pilot... Fred is introduced as having they them pronouns and they have a little scene about it and Ridley, the main characters, is like, oh is Fred a boy or a girl? And they're like, they're just a Fred and then that's it. So it's from the very first episode, Fred has been there.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. And I love that, like, Fred has been allowed to, like, be a full character, like, throughout the whole series and, like, there. And mm-hmm. it's not just, like, I think that there are a couple of tropes that have come up in, like, non-binary representation, particularly in preschool content. The old bison trope. The old bison <laughs> trope. Um, And some of those, like, tropes are are uh, fine. And some of them what are, Troy,
1: are... What are the tropes okay, okay. That, you, that you notice?
0: I actually want to know. The ones that I'm seeing for the most part. I mean, the like, you know, can't be a human non-binary person. But like, I... Which Fred falls into, but, like, I'm going to give Fred a little bit of a pass because, like, written by...
1: Also, most of the characters are not human, I guess. Exactly. It's in a show that, like,
0: where most of the characters are non-human except for, like, the one lead.
1: So I think that, like, that... I do think there is a trope where it's, like, there's all humans and then the weird one is, like, oh, it's the alien and the reason that they're non-binary is because they're an alien. Yeah.
0: Like, no shade against Adventure Time, but, like... Yeah, no
1: shade. Look, I relate to the alien the most. Oh, 100%
0: like love adventure time love bemo the robot mm-hmm. non-binary character but like it it has kind of like become a thing that like it's gotten repeated um that is uh it's fine when it's like once or like a couple of times but like when it becomes a trope that like ends up telling kids that like non binary is not something that people can be that's when it becomes mm. a problem um but I, I, I give Fred a pass on that one in particular because of the world of the show. And then the other trope that I have a lot of problems with is the, like, one character showing up who's non-binary, who just, like— Oh, you hey. mean, like, the very special episode? The very special episode. Yeah. Some of which I've written before. Yeah. I, hey. Yeah. Hey. I have been hired I, to write those episodes. That's, all
1: you, that's what you get, and you're—we'll take it. You exactly. Know? I'll, it is, I'll take the money. But it is not the preferred uh, way, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And
0: Fred is a wonderful exception to that trope because Fred is a main ensemble character throughout the whole show. So yeah, but the reason why I wanted to talk about that episode in particular is because Fred in that episode comes out to their grandmother, right? Mm-hmm. As non-binary. As by Cyndi Lauper. Oh, amazing. I love that. <laughs> um, okay. So can you just like talk a little bit about writing that episode and how coming to that scene and like how you wanted to approach it? Talk to me about it.
1: Sure. And I'll try to um, like explain or give context to the episode for in yeah. the show for people who haven't watched it. But if I forget, just stop me and be okay. like, <laughs> and do. for anyone listening, <laughs> that really insular comment they made was referring to this because <laughs> sometimes I cannot hear it. Um, and I also want to say I will. You you mentioned that I co-wrote it, but I want to make sure to be yeah, yeah, clear yeah. also that I didn't. So this the story by was actually a story Chris had ages ago, mm. and um, I was actually off the show at this time, so I was staffed for a while, and this was past the point where I was on another job, mm. um, but was invited back for this episode. Mm. So I co-wrote it with um, writer Jen Bardakoff as yeah, well. Awesome.
0: So I just want to make sure
1: I'm not taking uh, credit from. From all the other people who wrote it, but I did... Shout out
0: to Jen Bartikoff. We yeah. love Jen.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so I was you know, so much of it in the story especially came from um, Jen and Chris, but I, I'm obviously so happy to be writing it with Jen and to come back and be in that world. So it was a very fun episode, but uh, that was just me being guilty. That was just me doing a disclaimer where I'm, like, guilty for taking credit for anything. No, <laughs> like, please oh, take credit. I mean,
0: there's a reason they brought you back for the episode, right?
1: Yeah, I assume because they don't hate me and they were like this is a good idea but it was very fun so the episode like you said Fred is a character that's always presented as non-binary in the show and uses they them
0: pronouns and is also voiced by a non-binary performer Yes, as well Iris yes. Menace
1: yes a very great um, performer and voice actor I love Fred's voice yeah, Fred's- I think it's like perfect for the character but uh, Fred has been you know out to their friend group but hasn't seen their grandma in a really long time. And they, last time they saw their grandma, they use a different name and pronouns. Mm. And so when they go back for this herd day, so Fred's character is very like, I'm tough. I want to lead the herd one day. And, you know, they're like a cute little bison. So it's that kind of cute, tough uh, character. They're the foil character to like the really kind of prissy character who's Mm -hmm. a princess. And then Brad is like, I'm going to be a leader in this different way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're excited to go to this herd day, which is kind of like, I guess, a coming of age kind of thing mm. um, for their herd and they're going to lead the herd. But because they are they haven't seen their grandma in a while, the grandma actually knows them by another name. I will say the name because we say the name in the episode. Mm, okay. But it was a very delicate uh, thing to address yeah. because, you know, dead naming is obviously a thing that you have to be really careful about. And it's like, do we want to express this? But... In in my experience, too, like, it's really individual. Some people, if you're an outsider from the community, just don't do that. But um, within the community, I've noticed individually, like, some like, I didn't do a name change. Yeah. Um, some people will tell me. So it's... it's yeah,
0: I don't consider my, like, quote-unquote dead name to be, like, a dead name. It's like, I yeah. shortened my name, but, like, I still say it as, like, a reference sometimes. And, like, it's on the internet. Like, yeah, very yeah. inside baseball, trans it's community Inside baseball. baseball. <laughs> like, yeah,
1: within the community, there's that. But outside of the community, like, we don't want to lose any nuance. And so it's yeah. really delicate to... You know, we don't want to hurt anyone or harm anyone, this idea that someone's going to be, like, dead naming somebody. But when Fred does show up, their grandma does say their old name, which is Winifred, and mm. then the characters are all like, who's that? Like, who was your grandma talking mm. about? Yeah. And Fred is like, oh, I forgot. Like, I didn't, I used to go by that name and different pronouns. And, and And Fred's never, I don't think Fred's ever said with different pronouns, but the mm. grandma uses the old name and says, granddaughter. Mm. I think it would be a really normal thing for a kid to experience that just changed their name. And, and their relative didn't know yet. And it's yeah. like, how do you tell that relative? And so it was very delicate. Like we go through stages that Fred kind of doesn't want to say anything at mm-hmm. first. And then they they keep kind of messing up because they're really distracted about mm-hmm. like every time they're called something else, they get kind of thrown off because they're not being themselves. And the whole yeah. thing about, you know, being a leader you should lead as yourself regardless. Uh, it, if you can, obviously like, but that was, that's part of the episode. Like they talk to their friends, mm. they talk to Ridley, they try to suss out. Should I tell, like they, the friends are try to be supportive of in the fact that like, do you want to tell your grandma your new name? Mm. Do you feel safe? Like, is it a safe thing to do? Do you feel like she would be cool? Uh, and Fred determines, yeah, all those things. They really, really want to tell their grandma, but they're worried, you know, I'll do it later because I'm going to do this big herd day thing. Yeah. And eventually it's like they're way too distracted and it's messing up their ability to do the exercises. So they do tell their grandma and mm-hmm. the grandma accepts them and is like, oh my gosh, no wonder you are struggling so much. Of yeah. course, like it's way easier to lead the herd as yourself. And then Fred mm-hmm. is able to lead as themselves. There's a song, and blah, 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 beautiful mm-hmm, pre-K happy mm-hmm. ending. And I find, you know, I, I thought it was a really sweet episode and pretty on par with all pre-K episodes, especially of that show mm-hmm. and that type of show where yeah. we are doing social emotional learning mm-hmm. and and it is quite an advanced show. So it is in that upper pre-K space. So mm-hmm. a lot of, I think it's pretty on par with even what would be on a Disney Junior or a Nick Junior or something like that when you boil it down, where most, a lot of pre-K morals are...
0: Be yourself. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, and it sounds like the arc of the episode really is about feeling and how fred is like feeling about what's going on and like exactly it's individual f- to fred exactly it, it, yes, it's not like a linguistics lesson in pronouns that Fred's. absolutely not with this, no because with it, the
1: pronouns are already there like exactly. everyone in the world in this the world of this show mm-hmm. understands how pronouns work
0: yeah and yeah.
1: calls fred by their correct pronouns all the time mm-hmm. and it, this was yeah it is delicate because like even just describing the episode i feel like mm-hmm. kind of like am i doing something Am I doing something bad by saying Fred's old name? You know, like, there's that, like, mm-hmm. feeling in me that's it's, it's delicate. But um, yeah. I do think, you know, it's realistic that, especially if you're young and you just... And it's not like the characters in the show are actually, like, like three-year-old children or something. Yeah. Like, the characters are older than their audience. Yes. And I think a character but who is a kid, kid, essentially, who just changed their name, are very likely to run into people that didn't know their they go by new name mm-hmm. and it's like, do you want to tell people your new name yeah. or not? So, you know, it's be, yeah, I think on par with just like be yourself. And it, yeah. in Fred's case, there's many episodes of the show and other shows I've written for that are be yourself. And in Fred's case, it was like, you know, when Fred's had other be yourself episodes, mm. there's other episodes, there's the bison ball where Fred decides what to wear to the, the ball, mm. um, which makes me, I, have, I had nothing to do with that episode. It makes me cry. Like I love that one. <laughs> Um I probably love it more than this one cuz I can't like love the episodes I wrote the most you know <laughs> like uh, what you're allowed um, I can't to. See them. I can't, but I can't like see them for what they are. Sure, sure, sure.
0: Um, yeah, you're like thinking about the writing the whole time. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm like, yeah, I'm like self critical. But um, so it's not like the first time Fred's gone through a be mm-hmm. yourself kind of thing. Mm-hmm. They don't all have to do with being non binary or gender roles. Bison Ball kind of did, as it had to do with wardrobe. Yeah. Um. But this one is, yeah, specifically because it specifically says the
0: word non binary, mm-hmm. um, which is rare in preschool to actually say the word.
1: Yeah, I think that was the huge thing is that they actually said uh, non-binary and there was some specificity to Mm -hmm. it with the name and saying, oh, I'm not a granddaughter, I'm a grand Fred, which Mm -hmm. I thought was cute. I'm positive I didn't write that line because it's so
0: cute. (laughs) (laughs) i
1: think so self-critical today. I don't know what's going on.
0: Take the credit, Um, take it.
1: uh, But, well, I don't know, but somebody (laughs) put that in. I thought that was really cute. So yeah, it's just the specificity. I think that's the new thing, even Mm -hmm. though... Yeah, Fred did even have some specificity in the the other episode. Mm. Yeah, it's really not a linguistics lesson, as you said. It's just Fred going back home for the first time in a long time Mm. and being, you know, a different, not even a different person, but sometimes... I mean, for older audiences, yeah, you've had time to become a different person. Yeah. But, you know, just some things changed and they're nervous about telling their grandma something.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, and like the, like arc of the episode that you're describing is like, those are exactly feelings that I've had when I'm like, you know, after I came out and like had new pronouns and like, I'm like, do I want to talk about this with my parents? Is Is this a thing that I like, like going back and forth about like, you know, do I like start saying my name is this instead of... Of this and asking people to do like these are all like really big emotional like decisions that like queer and trans people make a lot and I think that you know framing it in a way that a preschooler can understand is one not as hard as you think and <laughs> I just love that Fred can be like the empath like the role model for like developing empathy for a trans person going through that like emo- those like emotional like Currents, right, of that experience. Yeah.
1: I feel like you're getting a little ah, um
0: Yeah. I mean, any, any like non binary representation that's like good in the kids and <laughs> kids in animation space is, I mean, it just uh, gets the feels. It's really important to me. It gets to the feels. It the feels. It's important.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of like in what you were just saying, that there is a complexity to the journey that you're describing that mm-hmm. you went through as a presumably an adult or You know, older than Fred. Well, I mean, certainly older than Fred. Those characters are, (laughs) because they are technically like all really old except for Ridley, because they're like museum exhibits. Yeah. But um, on Twitter, there was a lot of backlash to Mm -hmm. the episode. And there was a lot of good things. There was some really positive attention, Mm -hmm. and then that usually is what causes the the follow-up backlash. I know it well, yes. And somebody will post it somewhere and make a coordinated attack, which makes no sense because it's just like you're getting singled out, but it's you're doing something that's... Maybe the specifics of saying the word non-binary is different, but like a lot of the stuff you're doing is on par with what's happening in many other shows. Mm -hmm. But um, one of the arguments I would see a lot is like, this is not. This is too heavy and not appropriate for like young audiences. Young kids are not really worried about this. Mm-hmm. And I think like the end of what you just said about exposing people and them having empathy for that is probably maybe more relevant of a thing because to me it, it took a while to figure out my identity, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's always going to be fluid and changing in a way. Yeah, but it's the exposure to it that is very helpful. Yes. So I don't even think it's necessarily about, does a child relate to the journey? Like for example, of what you just described, but for a child to be exposed to that, some Mm -hmm. people might feel that. And, you know, like me, I was, when I was exposed to that kind of stuff, I'm like, oh, I'm really drawn to that. But I just like, Mm -hmm. don't really know why Um, that helped me. But even if it didn't, like relate to me directly, I could still then see and be exposed to that. Sometimes people change their names. Mm-hmm. I mean, people change their names for a variety of reasons. Sometimes yeah. people might go by a nickname or change their name because they got married mm-hmm. and they want to change their last name. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is yet another example of somebody changing their name. And so the people online going, you know, this is too heavy for a little kid. The emotions we experience going through that as like real humans, may be heavy and nuanced, mm-hmm. I don't think that what a child is experiencing watching the show is particularly heavy. I think so much of writing this type of pre-K show is
0: about empathy and modeling empathy. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I would challenge all those people to actually watch the full episode. (laughs) (laughs) They're not. They're not going to. No, they're not. But I mean, then they
1: wouldn't be able to make their arguments. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I
0: mean, this is what I what I find all the time is that like arguments crumble to pieces as soon as you like actually experience the thing in its in its fullness. And it's
1: yeah. yeah. One of the one of the arguments a lot was um, oh, so girls can't lead herds; they have to be boys. And it's like, first of all, friends, not a boy actually, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and also in the literal scene that they're complaining about the grandma is a leader. So Mm -hmm. it doesn't really
0: make sense. So, you know, context is important. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) truly. Um, I'm really curious because you know there's such a separation between like someone on like the back who's like writing an animated show for kids versus like the show. i mean there's so much to like animated shows getting made and then like actually going out to an audience and like a kid experiencing your episode that you wrote and like the two people on kind of like the other <laughs> either side of that screen right mm-hmm. so like i'm i'm really curious what you would say to a kid watching like that specific episode of really jones
1: Ooh, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's that's hard to answer because the way that I've talked to kids mm. is through is by just writing the episode. I, a yeah. lot of times I find it's easier to tell a story than, especially to kids, it's easier. And to me, my little autistic self, sometimes it's easier to hear a story. Like mm. I don't know what the emotion is. So it's easier to, to speak through stories in that way. Yeah. Um, so I feel like we did kind of say what we wanted to say to kids watching that. And it's just about, some people want to go by want you know. Sometimes you feel better when you change your name. Sometimes you feel better when you dress a certain way. Some you know some or or not even just to you, but it's like yeah. Some people go by they them pronouns. Literally, that's it's really not complicated. I don't know what I would really say.
0: Is there a question you would ask that kid?
1: I I would love to ask kids like what do you feel like? What would you like? Do you mm. like your you know? What would you like to be called? And what do you want to go by? And they're probably going to just say whatever they already go by. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. But I would love to be a presence for kids that actually just asks them to be Mm -hmm. polite and caring. I think these are really hard questions because I've never thought about this. And I don't interact with children that much, to be honest. I have uh, my children I'm related to. And I've done some like volunteer work with kids like way in the past. And Mm -hmm. it is a trip to talk to them. Um, They're (laughs) such characters. They're really smart and wild. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I don't know if I really know how to talk to them other than to it's like the balance of talking to them like they're adults, but also yeah. being, but also not doing that in a way that's putting too much on them or being too heavy in a way. Yeah. Yeah. There's a fine. Yeah. I, it's more like I don't want to tell kids something, but I would love to, mm-hmm. if I was in person, just listen to kids. And that's mm-hmm. actually why I did volunteer work in the past was mm-hmm. uh, because I'm childless adult and I write for kids. I thought it would be, healthy and good to interact with some kids. So I did this uh, very, very short-lived stint where I was volunteering with 826LA and they Mm -hmm. um, provide like storytelling and creative outlets for kids. They're they're super cool. Uh, I was too disorganized to to keep going and I'm sorry to them wherever (laughs) they are, but um, (laughs) it was really fun and kids are so creative. But I think, yeah, just listening to kids was what my goal was Mm -hmm. and asking questions. And I'm kind of working on you can like tell I'm a therapized person because (laughs) I'm kind of working on that. How I talk to like uh, my friends, Mm. my adult friends too, is by asking more open-ended questions Mm. and wanting to be really present and listening. And I think like some kids, you know, we just aren't asked those kind of things. And I don't, if I didn't know a kid, it's not like I'm going to ask them a bunch of queer questions. It's just like, if it comes up and not being weird about Whatever mm-hmm. they say, basically, yeah. is the whole goal is to just for that age group and that subject matter. There's a little bit of normalization happening, which is mm-hmm. still, I think, important. Yeah. In my other um, work, I don't feel the need to normalize or focus on that mm-hmm. as much as I used to. I that that's part of like the graduation I've had of how I'm writing is that I like being queer, so I don't need to be quote-unquote normal, or nor do I want to be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to be myself. Yeah. But I think in terms of just basic stuff, like normalizing, calling a kid what they want to be called, mm-hmm. is fine. And I, I've i never met any kid who's going to keep on doing something for just, like, spite that lot. Like, it's not like, I don't know no. what the fear is. I have no idea what the fear is. Like, no, I don't understand it. But yeah, I think I would yeah. just, I like asking kids questions and listening to them. I find nobody really listens to kids. I think I have a lot more energy to do it since I'm not a parent. So it's not mm-hmm. like a slight on their parents because they they listen to them all day and they have a very different role than me. Mm-hmm. But if me coming in for a short amount of time, like I love hanging out with my nephew and hanging out however he wants to hang out because mm-hmm. um, I'm not like tired yet. from yeah. And I don't have to like cook and feed like do all that stuff with him. Mm-hmm. So just existing with them and being like a really accepting and listening presence is I think mm. what I would do. But for, for older kids, it is like when you're asking like, Oh, what do you want to say? It's hard to articulate. Cause it's more that the way I'm saying it is just like, I exist. Mm. Here's other people that exist. It's not even a statement. It's just a reflection of like, I'm big on self-expression mm-hmm. and I think I should just be myself And exist to not let anyone, like, talk me out of existing, I guess. So it's really innocent in a way. It's not even anything. I don't know how to answer this question because I'm like, it's not even anything. It's not like I don't have, like, a political statement or anything. I'm just like, hey, I exist. And I think that
0: that's (laughs) actually an important point, though. Because I Hmm. think that, like, what I'm trying to get at here... Is that, like, you don't necessarily need to have a giant conversation, yeah. right, with a kid after watching this episode. Like, you 100% can. They might have Yes, they might have questions. Even you um, can be
1: there for the questions. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, like, something we talk about a lot on this podcast is, like, the intersections of, like, queerness and transness and childism, like, the discrimination against children just for being children and, like, mm-hmm. how children aren't treated as just, like, human beings. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I think you're definitely getting at that. And, like, that's a really important part. Part I think of making work for kids is respecting that they will understand what you're trying to tell them and respecting where they're at developmentally and being able yeah. to communicate in a, in a way that they can, can process, right, while also not underestimating what they can understand.
1: But yeah, like I think the thing is that I'm not an educator. It's sort of the same, in the same vein of how like all trans people are like for, forced into being activists, yeah. quote unquote, or labeled mm-hmm. as activists. I I really care about, there is a part of me that, you know, especially when I was, uh, before I got into working and I was wondering what to do. Like I do, I feel I have that in me, in my heart from mm-hmm. caring, but I'm not an activist. I'm not an educator. I'm not, not um, like an expert in child development or anything like mm-hmm. that. So I'm not pretending to be. I do find that I have responsibility there and try to educate myself. I go to workshops. I go to research organizations that I'm a part of. That help explain developmentally how how kids are at different ages and all that because I'm mm-hmm. curious and I care about my audience as I would yeah. care about like any audience that I was writing for. But like I think the thing is that I don't pretend to know that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, there are whole groups wherever you work that if you write for kids, there's always some kind of either there's a consultant, there's an education group, and they usually mostly focus on comprehension. That's how yeah. I know, you know, we can't do like big time travel and. For three-year-olds, because they don't know what tomorrow is, so they're not going to know what time travel (laughs) is. It's usually stuff like that, or like, Mm -hmm. hey, kids don't know that word Mm -hmm. um, in our experience, so can you add some context or define the word? Stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't pretend to be that, so I think it's more like I see myself as more just like, yeah, that picture book writer or that writer or that, in my dreams, that Maurice Sendag figure who's Mm -hmm. just writing fun stuff for kids and... To me, when I was young, I just think that exposure is everything. Like, there's some stuff that I find very queer that never says any of the queer words. It's just Mm -hmm. stuff I related to. I related to a lot of, like, little white boys in Mm -hmm. media because they had something else I really related to. So, yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be, like, a big statement. I think the statements have to do with other things, like, in that episode, a a be yourself kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Or, you know, that more like, it's not as much a lesson for that they're doing something wrong mm-hmm. but more like the kids can thrive yeah if you, you respect their choices especially like it's just such a harmless choice to yeah. be like can you call me this name yeah so yeah oh. I don't know I guess I wanted to say I'm not like I'm not an educator I don't pretend to be an expert even though I do know a lot more than I did because I feel it's important. Yeah. Like, I know that at the age of three, uh, from what I've been told, people Mm -hmm. should be encouraged to look this up on their own. But like, that's when you start forming identity, a sense of identity. And so that is actually a really key range, age range for kids Mm -hmm. to be exposed to that. I really related to a lot of trans stories and I was exposed to some trans representation in media as like maybe a teen. Mm -hmm. But the concept of non-binary was not familiar to me at all. Yeah. If I felt like I was trans- mask or something, Mm -hmm. I probably would have figured that out, like,
0: much earlier. Yeah, that's what I was like as a kid, is that, like, I, like, presented, like, pretty trans masks.
1: I didn't feel that I was a boy. Mm -hmm. I'm not a boy. I don't feel that I was... Sometimes I'll say that for fun, but, like, I... (laughs) Because sometimes it's fun to be a boy for play. Yeah. Bunsies. But but if I really felt that that was it, I probably would have figured it out much sooner. So it's just, and I think there's as many ways of being as there are people in the world. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: all you do is like expose who you are. And then that gives someone else who might be similar to you something that, oh, cool. Like I'm not alone. That exists. And it starts you on this path of like, you can just see what you're drawn to. And there's so many types of media that I I feel I related to in that mm. way for like various parts of identity. With queer identity, it's a huge thing because mm-hmm. you're so underexposed, mm-hmm. but really it's for anything. Like when I saw Max and Where the Wild Things Are, I was like, yeah. That's, I like that. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not because he's a little boy. It's because he's a little monster and I mm. am a little monster. And like, I like that. It's something really authentic to
0: to kids oh i love I feel like that. i rambled
1: so like no the rambling
0: is perfect
1: um <laughs> what is this podcast i'm, I'm just like rambling because i don't even know we know each other and i'm just like do
0: you're doing great um we're gonna start <laughs> wrapping up um is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like want to talk about especially to this audience in particular
1: um i do think that i'm trying to be really positive obviously because i've yeah. had good experiences but i do think there's I don't want to be, like, toxically positive. I think it's worth acknowledging that everyone's having a really hard time right now. Yeah. Um, And one of the reasons that the blowback to the Ridley Jones episode really hit is because it feels like we're losing in a way. Mm. Um, And it's hard because it's like, I don't want to say that or admit that. Like, If we admit that we're having a hard time, does that, Mm. like, give fuel or ammunition to, like, the other side like i what what are the implications of that i'm not sure yeah. but i think it's fine to acknowledge that you know there's it's a pendulum swing there's ups and downs and Um, A lot of people in the U.S. are having a hard time just because of all the legislation that's being put out there. You know, even though we can know that that's a minority of people that, like, believe this
0: or that, that
1: still can have a big psychological effect. So I guess, yeah, what do you think? You think it's good to acknowledge? I'm, like, really on the fence.
0: No, I think it's really important because, I I mean, I... I think that there is a very important distinction between toxic positivity and, like, understanding, like, how to be joyful in spite of, like, what's going on. And I think that, like, for me, I hope that, like talking about like how I'm maybe not having a good day how like this yeah. does get to me is validating for other people who are feeling that way while also yeah. like making sure that like we do have like sacred pockets of joy that we can come yeah. back to that are like for us right and like yeah. doing doing this work is a huge part of like how I process and like hold joy for myself within all of this and it's it, this is I think we work in a very very interesting intersection too because mm-hmm. like you know queerness and transness and kids are a really I don't know politically hot thing right now in like mm-hmm. a really horrific way but like most of the time people are not thinking about Children's animation. Most of the time True. people are not thinking about kids' media and like TV and film because it hasn't really been there historically. Yeah. And yeah. it's a it's a side of TV film that I think gets forgotten a lot, but the impact and we talked about this before that the impact is enormous. And so it's I it's huge. It's really huge. And I just like want to encourage people to my, and like I think I like keep banging my drum like mm-hmm. the thing that I keep saying is like pay attention to this space it is important like protect drag story hour like that is also an incredibly important thing especially to be like IRL in person with like a drag performer and like queerness and transness Mm -hmm. in that way and like the history of queerness and performance but like There's a lot of different sides to what's happening right now. And I think there's a real opportunity within animation and kids media for, like, people like you and me and other queer and trans writers in the space to, like, be doing really cool work that will make significant impact on a new generation and that generation's parents and caregivers. Yes. And I just want people to, like, just, like, don't drop the ball in this space.
1: Yeah, I think it's about like that that kind of whole feeling of am I being toxically positive or not? I want to acknowledge that so much is going on and that I don't feel positive all the time at Mm -hmm. all. But also that like the thing that I'm trying not to do is to get talked out of just like Mm -hmm. what I how I am existing because like I have had great experiences and I think, you know, people who work in this space were just trying to make stuff for us as a kid and something that we would really like. And that's all we're trying to do. Yeah. And um, I guess the takeaway, I don't know if this really applies to your listeners or not. I'm sure they already like get this, but it's sort of like, you know, when the the um, BLM marches were at their height and a lot mm-hmm. of people started, the, a big thing in the conversation was realizing that inaction is actually an mm-hmm. action. Yeah. I think that's the thing that I'm thinking about when I was talking about that. Cause it's like, we're just being ourselves. i It's very, very important to me. Um, you know, there's, lot of depression and issues that can happen when you're not able to be yourself and so it's it is obviously like politically important in that way but Mm -hmm. also just I think I would like people to realize that anytime there's not that queer character or there's not like even erasing non-binary people uh, from history is a political action so any kind of inaction or erasure is an action it's just as political to like put a straight person in something as a queer like you've made a choice even though you don't think you've made a choice so yes I guess that's the thing to. That I would add, you know, it's not any more choice than what is happening. Yes. And I yes. think
0: like, I'm sure there are some children's media professionals who do listen to this. And to those People, like, and I, like, I think, like, the day to day of, like, being creatives in this space who are also queer and trans, for me, the nose are just, like, hitting a lot harder right now. I don't know mm. about you, but, like, we've been trying to get shows made and, like, I freelance and, like, try and do work. And, like, the nose, and this is an industry full of nose, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, they, they just hit harder right now because of the political landscape. And, yeah. like, the toll, and I think, like, thinking about the day to day lives of, like, queer and trans creatives who are on the ground in the industry who are doing the work, just like being themselves, right? And like just being writers (laughs) and being (laughs) directors and storyboard artists and things like that. Like it just takes a much bigger toll on us day to day as this is going on. Um, So that's just, I don't know, something to think about if you're a professional in the space as well.
1: Yeah, there is a toll being taken, Um, not to be too happy. But yeah, I do feel a lot of people um, that I've worked with luckily are really, uh, great, warm, Mm. loving people who got into this industry for great reasons and, or they fell into it and now really care. And I hope that, um, yeah, anybody who's in that situation, who's maybe cis or, you know, not in the community, um, just doesn't Forget, I guess that those because yeah. you can just get well. I get lulled into it too, just from being from yeah. the news and everything. Yeah, easy. like get lulled into another reality. But that actually, you know, just existing is not a political statement. <laughs> and yeah. um, some sometimes we need to fight the default too because the default is action as well. Like there yeah. is an action being taken. Yes. Yeah,
0: cool. All right, yep. uh, now is the moment to plug anything. <laughs>
1: oh man, um, yeah, I've, I
0: loved. Now I'm like, oh, I just went on, on
1: about trans uh, and queer issues. Hopefully, all the shows no, important, I worked on important. are, are uh, fine with being associated with that. If they're not, they should talk to me um, and let me know. <laughs> but, <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I think I would love for everybody to. Well, the newest uh, last season of Ridley dropped on Netflix. If you want to check that out, I think there's a lot of great episodes in it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a good show. Yeah. I think it's a really elevated, fun show. I which agree. It's good. Uh, also on Netflix, Dead End Paranormal Park, um, our our last season, season two, dropped a while ago, which I love, um, and that's for older kids. An
0: excellent spooky
1: watch. Yes, if you like horror comedy, and it is, but for kids. Yes. Um, but adults can definitely watch it. I've... Somebody I knew was, like, "Oh, I heard some, like, drag queens in an alley talking about it. And I was like, we've made it, guys. Oh, yeah. Incredible. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what you want to hear. <laughs> the <compliment> I've <laughs> ever heard. The height of compliments. Truly. Um. So those are some things on Netflix I would love for people to watch. Mm-hmm. I would also love if people tuned into The Ghosts and Molly McGee Season 2 on Disney yeah. Plus on April 1st. There's just a great group of people who worked on that mm-hmm. show. There's a lot of Asian-American representation on cool. the show and even more in Season 2. Um, there's just some autistic representation as well and ghosts. So I I love love ghosts. And again, there's that, all that representation stuff, but I just think it's funny. I think we are funny. Yeah.
0: It's just like good. There's this (laughs) and it is
1: fun. Um, and so I'm sure that everyone would be grateful if you checked that out and yeah, I don't need to advertise Young Jedi, but because people know, but yeah, that one's coming out May the 4th, (laughs) Uh, a great group of, uh, talented people who worked on that as well. So would love everyone to watch all the things if they have kids or if they don't
0: <laughs> amazing can people find you on social media
1: they can find me at mia rosella m-i-a-r-e-s-e-l-l-a um, mostly on twitter i don't tweet that much but it's more than other things i'm on twitter and instagram
0: um you can find me there fantastic well thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me today
1: yes of course it was lovely chatting uh sorry for rambling it's probably a really a long
0: episode <laughs> no no that's it's good editing. we that's what we have an editor for All right, there we go. That was our conversation for this week. Don't forget throughout June, we have episodes coming out Mondays and Fridays. You're getting double the dose of Rainbow Parenting every week. So look out for our next episode coming up this Friday. I partnered up with my friends over at Gender Cool, which is an incredible organization for this next conversation. And I think it's maybe one of my favorite interviews I've ever done. So you definitely want to tune in, I promise. Make sure you check out Mia on all of their social medias. You can always follow me at Amer and follow Queer Kid Stuff at Queer Kid Stuff. Go grab your copy of Rainbow Parenting, Your Guide to Raising Queer Kids and Their Allies. And remember that members of the Queer Kid Stuff Patreon get access to early and ad-free episodes of Rainbow Parenting. All right, that's it. Talk soon. Rainbow Parenting is hosted and created by me, Linz Eimer. It's produced in partnership with Multitude and is edited by Misha Stanton. The theme music is by Amanda Darchangelis and the logo artwork is by Abe Tenzia.